This week, Time Magazine released its annual list of the world's most influential people. Time names, according to their own words, the people who most affect our world. The 2010 list is divided into four major categories, leaders, heroes, artists, and thinkers. Although, if you read the list, you'll see that these lines sometimes get a little blurry. A quick review of the list makes one wonder where we really are as a world if these are the most influential people in the world. Conan O'Brien, Glenn Beck, Ben Stiller, Lady Gaga, and a child blogger who is in prison share the honor with world leaders and people of fame and infamy. Time even this year has attached a social networking index for each of the 100 most influential people in the world. In a mind-boggling comparison of the number of Twitter followers, Time points out that Lady Gaga and President Obama have nearly the same number of followers. Now, is Time suggesting that this creative artist of 22 really has as much influence in the world as the President of the United States? For that matter, can the humanitarian efforts of Serena Williams, a great athlete and humanitarian, can they really be compared to the efforts of Chief Master Sergeant Tony Travis, whose leadership reopened the Port-au-Prince airport in just 28 minutes after he put his boots on the ground, allowing rescue workers supplies, water, food, and necessary things of life to reach the earthquake-ravaged nation. Now, please don't hear, please do not hear that I'm questioning in any way the artistic, the athletic, <coughs> the humanitarian, or the political influence of some on that list. I just think that time specifically, and I would offer that perhaps we generally have confused celebrity and influence. Historically, influence has been understood to be the ability to affect someone's beliefs or actions and or the power arising out of status or contacts or wealth. I guess in a, in a broad sense, one could argue that an artist and a terrorist can influence someone's beliefs. I would just say that I think the quality of that change is very different between those two. If fashion and finance, fame and fear are equally influential in the world today, then where does faith intersect our lives to offer us a different perspective on authentic and genuine influence? Influence and celebrity are not the same thing. Faith in Jesus offers a radically different perspective which says that service to others in Jesus' name, not celebrity, not power, not fame or finance or fear is the greatest way that we can influence the world and thereby serve the people in this world.
So people of Holy Trinity, which are you seeking? Celebrity or service? As much as we might want to believe that our time and our age is different, and every age goes through this, every age has this narcissistic way of thinking that we're unique. And all you have to do is read history to realize ain't necessarily so, as Porgy and Bess pointed out. As Todd has told us, the people we read about in the Bible are every bit as smart as we are. They're every bit as intelligent, as clever, as, as inquisitive as we are. And he's right. I'd point out that they are every bit as vulnerable as we are to the whims and the winds of celebrity. Acts 14 has a wonderful demonstration of this truth. One day, Paul and Barnabas walk into the ancient city of Lystra. It's found in modern-day Turkey, and the city is called Calistra today. It still almost bears the exact name that it bore 2,000 years ago. They find a man there who has been crippled from birth. Paul looks at the man and says to him, Stand upright on your feet. He is instantly and miraculously healed. Now suddenly the whole city of Lystra erupts as these Christ followers find themselves in a feeding frenzy of celebrity and they are suddenly finalists on Lystra Idol. The pagan priest wanders into town bringing all of his livestock with him because they think that Zeus and Hermes have come among them and they want to offer a sacrifice. But these two faithful, authentic, genuine Christ followers chose not to be celebrities, but to turn the focus away from themselves onto God. Unlike some athlete or some actor who gives a passing acknowledgement to the divine upon running a touchdown or sinking a hoop or hitting a home run or getting the coveted award, Paul and Barnabas authentically and genuinely pointed to God. And they invited the people of Lystra to understand, to view life, from a different perspective, a perspective that was genuinely radical. You see, the gods of the ancient world were to be feared. Sacrifices were offered to appease their anger and to keep their wrath at bay. For an average Joe Lystraite, they probably just wanted to wander through life hoping that gods would never even notice them. And so they had religious people, holy people, the shaman, who took care of the gods on their behalf. Paul and Barnabas point to a god whom the people of Lystra would have found utterly amazing, completely shocking, a god of love, a god of care, a god of mercy, a god of provision. Not only does this God heal your crippled neighbor, people of Lystra, he provides the rain that falls on your fields, he provides the food that's in your tables, and he gives you joy that wells up in your hearts. 
the God that we're telling you about loves you and cares for you. Paul and Barnabas may have had Psalm 67 on their minds. May God be merciful to us and bless us. Show us the light of his countenance and come to us. Let your ways be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide all the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. To love and serve and to seek the highest and the best for others is a radically different perspective on the way that we can influence others and give them the hope for an authentic life. This perspective, which comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, was made known to the people of Lystra as it's made known to us today. And if we seek to authentically and genuinely have influence in our sphere of influence, whether it be your family, your neighbors, your classmates, your co-workers, or a sinful, broken, and hurting world, then we must point, as Paul and Barnabas did, to the genuine hope of God in Christ. One of Jesus' disciples in today's gospel, just before the verse, just before the, one that we, the ones that we read, asked how Jesus was going to distinguish his followers from the world around. How are, how are you going to set us apart? How are we going to know? Are we going to glow? Are we going to walk around with a feather on our hat? I, you know, how are you going to do it? It's funny that his name was Judas. This was the other Judas, not, the, not the, that Judas, the other one. Jesus said, those, in response, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Listen to that. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, I'm going to change you from the inside out so that what is on the inside comes out. I will transform you, and in so doing, I will change your focus. He was saying that the distinguishing characteristic of a Christian is to be Christ-like, not a celebrity. That's a radical thought. To be Christ-like, not a celebrity. This is not something that we work up. It's not something that we can train ourselves to do. It's something that we pray down by God's grace, by his mercy, by his love for us. To be Christ-like is a gift from God who loves us, who gave his one and only son for us, who sends his very spirit into us to make us instruments of his grace 
in a world of great unkindness, to be vessels of mercy in places of great cruelty, to be servants of all rather than seeking to be served. In a world where celebrity and influence are confused, faith in the living God brings a changed perspective and transforms us genuinely from the inside out, allowing us to say, as Paul and Barnabas did, it's not about you. It's not even about your crippled neighbor. It's about God. Lister was a city in which the residents of Southern California really would have felt quite at home. It was a vibrant, metropolitan place. You could worship the gods you wanted. Nobody gave you a hard time. It was cool to be spiritual. And it really didn't matter if you were a secular person or a religious person. Paul and Barnabas, interestingly, didn't condemn the priests or the people for bringing their livestock in and wanting to offer sacrifices. Rather, they corrected the misunderstanding by showing them a brighter light, a more glorious power, a more fruitful way, and a personal God and Savior. John spoke about this very perspective in Revelation 21. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon or shine uh, to shine on it, for the glory of the God is its lamp, and its light is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no night. They need no light, nor lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You would think that everyone in Lystra would have just been high-fiving each other. They would have just said, this is totally awesome. Again, Lystra was just like today. The people were every bit as smart, and perhaps some were even every bit as cynical as we can be. And so not everybody was thrilled when God showed up and then showed off by healing a man. There seems there was not a synagogue in Lystra, and so this was the very first place that Paul went to when he was preaching to a largely Gentile population. But there were Jewish authorities nearby in Los Angeles and San Diego. They didn't understand that Orange County was very different. Oh, it's not Los Angeles, it's Iconium and Antioch. Those were the two cities. It wasn't L.A. and San Diego. And so these Jewish authorities march into Lystra, and we read, some Jewish leaders from Antioch and Iconium came and turned the crowds against Paul. They hit him with stones and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But when the Lord's followers, these are brand new converts to the faith, gathered around Paul, he stood up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas did what any two smart guys did, they left Lystra and moved to Derby. 
they moved on. But hear that. Not everybody was happy with what happened. And so they stoned Paul. And God's people now gathered around someone they thought was dead and prayed for him. And he was healed and he got up and he went on preaching. Those Jewish authorities had lost perspective. Or at least they had a limited perspective. Paul and Barnabas began making pagan Gentiles God-seekers, God-fearers. And that just didn't fit the worldview of these Jewish leaders. How can this be? These are people that worship pagan gods. They can't be giving praise to our God. He's for us. We've got him in our hip pocket. We can pull him out anytime and show him to you. Paul or Barnabas didn't say anything outside of the law. They didn't do anything that broke one of the laws. And yet the wrath of the religious authorities came upon them. They were only seeking the highest and best good for the people of Lystra. The Jewish leaders wanted to hold on to their narrow vision of God. It's not that they were wrong. It's just that they were so myopically focused on their thing that they couldn't see God's thing. We too can become so myopically focused. We think that our way of doing church is the only way to do church. Or we think that our way of doing whatever is only the way that can be done, right? But God is really not a great respecter of our ideas. You only have to go through a couple of decades of life to kind of get that one square in your head, don't you? And yet we keep on doing it. Any of number of things can take our eyes off of God's perspective. And so, what is some of those ways that we can take our eyes off of God's perspective? C.S. Lewis wrote in his great book, The Screwtape Letters, of a, an ongoing relationship between this senior demon named Screwtape and his nephew, who is also his protege, named Wormwood. And we read the letters back and forth, actually one-way letters, from Screwtape to Wormwood, as Wormwood is learning to tend to his human subject and to try to draw him away. Letter 15 has this wonderful perspective on how we can lose God's perspective in life most easily. Screwtape writes to Wormwood. The humans live in time, but our enemy destines them for eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point at which of time at which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Our business as demons is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. With this in view, we sometimes tempt a human to live in the past. But this is of limited value, for they have some real knowledge of the past, and it has a determinate nature, and to that extent resembles eternity. It's far better to make them live in the future. All of their passions point in that direction. So, the thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it is unknown to them, so that making them 
think about it will make them think of unrealities. In a word, listen to this, the future is of all things the least like eternity. It is the most completely temporal part of time. For the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with eternal rays. Hence, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. Think about it. Right now, we have a world that is fixated on those two points that Screwtape wanted us to think about, the past and the future, playing what-if games with ourselves. What if I'd put my retirement into a safer set of investments? I might not be in the financial shape I am today. What if I had not overextended my credit so far that I'm upside down now? Or to the future. If I take just the right risk now, in 15 years, I'm going to be okay. Really? Can you make that statement? We can become so focused on the past or the future that we miss the very place where the Lord intersects our lives with eternity, which is right now. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 16 when he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, but they don't toil or spin. And yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God. That place where eternity intersects our lives is right now. That's what we've got right now. And God is here and moving right here, right now in your life. He knows what you need before you even ask it. He knows that you think about the future and have anxieties and fears. He knows that you long for the past and oh my gosh, did I make mistakes or if I had done such and such. But it's here right now in the present where eternity is breaking into your life. 
Paul and Barnabas had tremendous influence on the people of Lystra precisely because they shamed celebrity and chose instead to point to faithfulness to the here and to the now. If fashion and finance and fame and fear are equally influential in our world today, then faith is where we can have true and authentic influence with those around us, beginning with the person in the mirror. Influence and celebrity are not the same thing. Faith in Jesus offers us a radically different perspective, one where we serve others for their own good. We love others for their highest and best need. We care for others authentically and genuinely seeking to bring eternity into their life right now. It is only in the present where we can serve others in Jesus' name and therefore have lasting and eternal influence on them. Certainly, we need to tell the stories of the past. They're fun. We need to celebrate it. We need to say, wasn't it great when? And certainly, we do need to dream dreams because God is a God who gives us those dreams. But it's only here and now where all of the past and all of the dreams truly have an eternal and lasting effect and influence on those around us transforming us from the inside out, transforming our perspective to give a different perspective to the world around us, and allowing us to love and serve the world in Jesus' name. We seek this by daily seeking to let the kingdom of God be born in us, allowing and inviting the Holy Spirit to continually and radically transform us, and choosing as an act of our free will to stay in the present. To not wander off like a seventh grader out in left field who hasn't had a hit all day and who's staring at the sky or picking daisies. But to stay focused on the here and now. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.